In Jesus' name. Stephanie, would you come? Let's stand up and thank God for her. Thank you, Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be here this morning. You may be seated. And uh, before we get into what we're going to get into this morning, I'd like to thank Dr. Jacobs and Pastor Diana for giving me the opportunity. You know, when he called, I was shocked. Uh, uh, and uh, then I started crying. And it was, uh, you know, a whole, a th whole thing. But I'm humbled and I'm honored uh, that you would have me in your pulpit. So this morning, um, there's just two uh, things that God put on my heart this morning. Um, he said, talk about what this generation needs to hear. And uh, one thing, or I have two things, and the, one, the first thing is you can't do it alone. And you need to honor those who have set the pace for you. And the second one is not to compromise. And um, the, on the first one, I feel like everywhere you go, especially as young people, you're taught, do what feels good for you. You know, do, follow your own dreams. Do what you want. Do what makes you happy. And um, you can do it on your own. You can accomplish what you need to do by yourself. And that can be the furthest thing from the truth. You need somebody who has gone before you, who's blazed the trail, who knows what they're doing, who knows what they've, um, they've already laid out for you to help you get where you need to be. Amen. And um, you can't do anything and be successful by yourself. There's always somebody um, that's been before you. Amen. And so um, I'm not a special case. God didn't say, oh, you know, Stephanie, you, you can do it by yourself. Or Candace, you can do it by yourself. No, he, he put uh, us to get he put somebody in our lives that we need to follow. Amen. And in the Bible, we see the depiction of that. Somebody was always following somebody. There was always somebody that they were looking up to. Amen. And so we're going to turn to Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight. Hallelujah. I'm going to read it in the Amplified first. And it says, Do not move the ancient landmarks at the boundary at the property which your fathers have set. And in the Passion, it says, the previous generation has set boundaries in place. Don't you dare move them just to benefit yourself. And uh, remove means depart away. And the landmark obviously just means the boundary. And um, the word set means accomplished or what they have labored to maintain. So don't depart from the boundary accomplished and labored to maintain to maintain by your fathers. And so as I was studying, it was Dr. Jacobs and Pastor Diana didn't pave the way for me to just go my own way. They didn't make a way and labor to maintain their life, labor to maintain what they do for me to just go and, and say, well, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to labor my own way. I'm going to blaze my own trail. No, God didn't call me to blaze my own trail. He calls me to go in the path. Amen. And my, my job is not to move the boundary, but to follow it. And the next generation coming up, it's not our job to move the boundaries that have been placed by our fathers and those that have laid the way. Now, God will give us maybe divine ideas of different things that we can do, but it's not removing the ancient landmarks that was set because that was set for our benefit. It was set so we know how to go. It was set so we know the way. Amen. And so God, uh, the meaning behind the scripture I was reading, and it said, God gave a command. The law was to not remove the ancient landmarks because the landmarks showed and told them who they were distinguished and associated with. And so those landmarks show who I'm, I'm, I'm connected with. And the question is, does my life look like that? 
Does my life look like the ones I'm associated with? Or would somebody look at me and say, I don't see that you're connected to Dr. Jacobs and Pastor Diana. Who, what are you teaching? I don't even know who, you seem like you're following that person. And that's not who I'm supposed to be following. I'm supposed to be following what was paved and set in front of me. Amen. And what are you connected to? Who are you connected to? And um, I didn't get where I am on my own. I didn't get where I am on my own at all. I never even seen the things that were on the inside of me until somebody said they're on the inside of you. Until somebody blazed a trail and said, no, it's in you. You can do it. There's anointing in you. You're anointed. You know, you're going to preach the gospel. And I was shy, shy. Like, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to be in front of anybody. Kind of like my dad. I'm a lot like my dad. Um, I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to be in front of. And so when somebody said that to me, I, I didn't. I didn't believe him. I said, that's, that's not in me. But because he blazed a trail and he said, no, it's in you. It's in you. You can do it. You can do it. And because I kept following that path that, no, he said it's there. He said it's there. If it's there, I know I can do it because he already blazed a trail for me. He blazed the way so I know where to go. Amen. And it's like the hiking trail. You know, we were um, in Branson, Missouri, um, and the men went out on a hiking trail. And... One of them took a map, just one. We weren't over that part. I'll put that out there. <laughs> one of them took a map, and then the other said, you know, we'll figure it out. Well, five miles later, it was supposed to be a two-mile hike. And Dad said, I'm going to go on a two-mile hike because I need to get back, and I'll be back. And we said, okay. And I kept looking at my watch. I was like, that's a really long two-mile hike. Maybe somebody's hurt, or maybe that caught, caught up. And we get back and five people come in. That was five miles. And we blame it on this certain person. They were the one with the map and then they left us. And I said, well, why didn't you take a map? Why didn't anybody else take a map? What, what were you doing? And they wasted time. They wasted energy. They wasted because they didn't have the map. They didn't have the landmarks in front of them to know where to go. So they got lost. They wasted time. And then they got back and they were tired. Some of them were worn out. They weren't used to no five-mile hike. And they need to go take a nap. But it was because they didn't get the landmark for themselves. They didn't take the map and figure out where am I going? What am I supposed to do? The map has already been laid out. The path has already been made available for me. I just have to follow it. But if I don't have something in front of me to follow, then I'm going to get lost. And that's what they did. Amen. And, um... And they wasted time, like I said. And, you know, everybody started out at the, the beginning, but not everybody finished in the same place. They had to go find people. They were lost. We, we've got to go rescue people. Where are they at? And so I want to tell you, too, with that, everybody starts, but not everybody's going to finish with you. Everybody is excited about God in the beginning. Everybody is thrilled. Everybody is pumped. But not everybody's going to finish with you. Not everybody is going to make the commitment that you're going to make. And so I'll, that leads me to the second point. Don't compromise. It doesn't matter if you're walking alone. It doesn't matter um, who goes with you and who goes without you. Don't compromise what God um, already gave you, what God put in your heart. Amen. And so we're going to turn to Daniel 3.18. And, you know, my personal testimony, that was what I really did. <laughs> my whole teenage years, none of my youth group really wanted to serve God. 
you know, they said they did at camp. <laughs> at camp, we are all on fire. But when it came to school and it came to being the light and it came to really doing it, nobody wanted to do it. Nobody wanted to put in the effort. And so it is sometimes a lonely road. I'm not going to lie to you. And uh, most of my teenage years up till 19, I, my Friday nights, I felt so lame. I was with my parents. <laughs> Not, not that they're lame, because <laughs> I hang out with them all the time now. But in that moment, as a teenager, you don't want to be hanging out with your parents. You want to be out doing stuff. But in that moment, I didn't realize um, what it was establishing in me and what it was doing to me that, you know, no matter my entire youth group, no matter what's happening, I'm going to stick with it. And I know what God put in my heart, and I know what he called me to do. And so if I know that, I have the plan, and I just got to stick with it and not compromise. And we know this, This uh, I'm not going to read the whole um, chapter, but it's talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we know what happens. I'm just going to um, jump to verse 18. And it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered King Nebuchadnezzar, your threats mean nothing to us. If you throw us in the fire, the God we serve can rescue us from your warring furnace and anything else, O king. But even if he doesn't, it wouldn't make a big difference, O king. We wouldn't serve your God or worship the gold statue you set up. And I just like the, their, their, their stance that even if he doesn't, I'm still not bound down. Even if he doesn't rescue me, even if he doesn't come through, I still will not compromise. I still will stand here and say, I'm going to serve God, and I'm not serving what you told me to serve. Amen. And um, if you look back, these, these were not adults. They were not, you know, you know they, were, they were their mid-teens. They were in their mid-teens. And so you can't tell me that you can't stand for God. You can't tell me that you can't do it. They went against a whole nation and said, I refuse to compromise, and I'm going to do it. In spite of what everybody else is doing around me, I'm going to do it. And so my, my mom said uh, when she was teaching on this, I would rather burn for God than to burn and compromise. And that just went off of me. I would rather burn for God, burn in that fire, than to say that I, was a com- that I compromised and that I dropped my stance just because everybody around me told me to do it. Everybody around me was, was wanting to do it. I'm sure there was people there that were serving, that said they serve God and they love God, but I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to make that stance. I don't want to stand up and do it. But they said, no, I'm going to stand and do it. And even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to compromise. And compromise means accept standards that are lower. It also means to bring into danger and to cause to become vulnerable or function less effectively. And so when you compromise, it brings you into danger and you become less effective and in a vulnerable state. And, you know, compromise, it always makes you feel good in the moment. It makes you feel okay with yourself. But like this said, you're in danger. You're in a vulnerable state when you compromise. Amen. And so these three youth, um, I liked what this commentator said. It said, the three youth could not have stood alone amid the prostrate throng had they not been supported by the living faith in the God of their fathers, which goes back to the first point, that they knew about the God because of their fathers, because of those who blazed the trail, because of those who went before them, they knew that they knew their God because of what was told to them. And so what stories are going to be told about you? Will any be said about you? And, you know, I, as I've been reading just even more, 
I, I, especially in the Old Testament, you see all that God does and all that, um, that was done through these Old Testament saints. And we're in a better covenant. And it can make it, it stirs in me that these people didn't even have the same promise that I had, and yet they're doing greater works than I was I'm doing. And so just let it stir you up that that just because they're in the old covenant, we're in a better covenant. And these stories God wants to say about you. He wants to say about us. He wants, you know, the, the chapters of the Bible to keep being written about us and that it not just be said that we live in the old testament, we live in the stories of the Bible, but they're not reality in our life. Amen. And so I don't want to just read about them, but I want to be an example of them. Amen. And walk in them. And your gen- our generation needs to tell them. We need to keep telling them. We need to keep telling the stories that Dr. Jacobs has says. Telling the stories of those who have gone before us because they're not dead. They're stories that need to be retold. They're stories that need to be um, um, given life because if not, like you said, we don't want their generation to pass and nobody know who Dr. Jacobs is. Nobody know who Dr. Dufresne is. Nobody know who these men and women of God who paved the trail so that I could be standing here today, so that you could be standing here today. Amen. And so we need a revival, like my dad says, of the Bible. We need a revival of the Bible, that the Bible come to life in our life. Amen. And I'm a living testimony that God can help you, young people. I'm 30 years old and haven't compromised, living pure, giving my life for God as best of my ability. Of course, I've made mistakes. But we can do it. You can do it. And you can do it. You can live for God in a godless generation. And you can stand up for him. Amen. That's all I have. And may my fruit remain. Praise God. Wasn't that awesome? Yes. You know, I thank God for the next generation. Yes. I, do too. I told Dr. Jacobs, I said, I gladly stand out of the way and watch them preach. Yes. Because, uh, you know, like Dr. Dufresne said, he said, I think it was Dr. Dufresne that said that uh, we're in uh, danger of losing a whole generation of people, the next generation. Um, because if we don't carry this fire on and carry this to the next generation, they're not going to know, like she was talking about, they're not going to know all these men of God that uh, we quote and all these men of God we read after. It's almost like a, um, they just vanish. And, uh, and it's our responsibility to carry the torch. It's our responsibility to stay with the, the one who brought us and to stay with, uh, the same message. You know, like she was saying, you may present it a little bit differently, but it's the same message. We're going in the same direction. And uh, you've got to have somebody before you. If you don't have somebody before you to lead the trail, uh, you're not going to get at the end. And, uh, and that's a fact. Amen. We always have, we're always following somebody. Amen. And God puts people in your life and you need to stay with them to the end. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. So proud, of, uh, so proud of her and so proud of this next generation. And I'm, I'm excited about it. Amen. And uh, I'm thrilled. I think it was Lester Sumrall that said that if you don't raise up a successor, you don't raise somebody up behind you, then you have failed. And there's so many that uh, come up behind Brother Hagen. I'm not being critical, but come up behind Brother Hagen that aren't staying with the message. They're going a different direction. And, uh, and that's dangerous. 
Because when you go down a trail no one's blazed before, there's a lot of things on that trail you don't know. <laughs> a lot of things you're going to meet you wish you didn't meet. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Well, you may be seated this morning. And um, I am uh, excited to be here. I'm thrilled to, to be able to minister to you this morning. And thank you, Dad and Mom Jacobs. It's just such an honor to stand behind your pulpit and Pastor Jordan. And uh, we're just, uh, we're honored to be here. Amen. And uh, as I was uh, talking to the Lord about what he wanted me to talk about, uh, I want to deal with some things this morning about fellowship, about fellowshipping with the Lord. And, uh, and I just think, you know, in this pandemic that we're in and when it started, what really stood out to me is uh, how people responded. And I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about how the church responded when all this took place. And really what came out was really what they were fellowshipping with. Because really if you are fellowshipping with the Lord and you're maintaining your relationship with God and you're walking by faith, how many of y'all know you just, I, my wife said this the other day, she said, I wouldn't even have known, unless you told me we were in a pandemic, we wouldn't even know it. Because yeah. everything has just been maintained and in fact grown. So it's not like we've digressed. We just keep moving forward. It wasn't the fear that grabbed us. It was faith that grabbed us. It wasn't the anxiety that came over. It was, it was our tenacity to continue to move forward, regardless of what we were facing. And all that was linked to fellowship. Fellowshipping with the Lord. One of the most important, one of the most foundational things that a believer is supposed to do, and unfortunately, one of the most neglected because of the busyness of our day. So I want to talk to you about that this morning. Are you interested? John chapter 3, and we'll begin there. I want you to go there. John chapter 3. And um, I'm believing for you all to help me too. Amen. We're in this together. In Jesus' name. Father, we love you this morning. We're so grateful for your word. I thank you, Father, for helping me to be able to minister your word under the unction of the Holy Ghost. Thank you that you think through my mind, speak through my mouth, and may it be all of you and none of me. I thank you for what you've shown me, and I thank you for giving me the ability, your ability, to deliver this message. And we give you all the praise and glory, and everybody said amen. amen. Fellowshipping with the Father is the greatest privilege because it fulfills man's greatest need. Man's greatest need is fellowshipping with, with the Father. You go back and look at Genesis chapter 2, don't turn there, but you go back and read Genesis chapter 2 specifically, you'll see that when God made man, in verse 7 and 8, you'll see when God made man, the first place God put man was in his presence. Garden of Eden was not just a place, but it was a place where God came. And it was a place where God met man, and it's a place that God fellowshiped with man. And the place of the garden became the place of attack. The very place that God told him to guard and protect became the place that the devil attacked. And so God created us, and we need to realize this. God created us for fellowship. God created us because he wanted to have a family. God created us, and that's the purpose of all. Every human being has the same purpose. So many people struggle in life trying to figure out what to do with their life. And so many people are looking to function, whether that be an occupation, as purpose. But the actual purpose of every human being is to know God. That is the purpose of man. And from purpose, you find function. 
And I always say it this way, God didn't create me to be a pastor. He didn't create me to be a husband. He didn't create me to be a dad. I am all three. He created me because he wanted to have fellowship with me. Like Dad Jacobs always says, he said, I'm not special because I'm a prophet. I'm special because God, Jesus died for me. That's why we're special. And so many people in life struggle with what to do with their life because they're looking for function, thinking it's purpose. But really the purpose is for you to have fellowship with God. That's why you're here. But if you go through life and we go through this thing called life all the way to the end of our life and we didn't really ever have any genuine fellowship with God, then we have completely failed. And that's the truth. We know in Genesis that, that, that the enemy came in and deceived Adam and Eve and they fell. The Holy Spirit left them. What left? Fellowship. What was Jesus trying to get back? The Holy Ghost back into the earth. The Holy Ghost back into human beings. He was trying to restore fellowship. He's trying to restore fellowship. Everybody wants to know the plan of God for their life, but that comes through fellowship. Everybody wants to know what to do with their life, but that comes through fellowship. Everybody needs answers for their life, but it comes through fellowship. Everybody wants to know what direction they need to go, but that comes through fellowship. It's just like Romans 12. I'm going to get to John 3, but Romans 12 too. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, in the Greek it really means discern, that you may discern what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You can't know the will of God without being in fellowship with God. As you renew your mind, you begin to understand what God wants you to do. And it all comes through fellowship. If I don't spend time to fellowship with God, how am I ever going to know what to do? And life is not supposed to be an experiment. We're not supposed to experiment with life and try life out. We're supposed to fellowship with God, know who God is, and from that fellowship know what to do, where to go, and how to do it. It all is undergirded. Our life is to be undergirded by fellowship. And from that fellowship comes strength. From that fellowship comes answers. From that fellowship comes wisdom. From that fellowship comes direction. From that fellowship comes calling. It's all undergirded by fellowship. And we've got to get back to the fundamentals. This is a fundamental message today of getting back to the fundamentals. Are you with me? And if we're not careful, we'll spend all of our days being busy with the work of God and never know God. The goal is not to reach for what you're called to do. The goal is to reach for what you're called, what you were created to do, and that's the fellowship with God. The whole goal of my life is not to determine what I'm called to do. The whole goal of my life is to fellowship with God, and out of that I'll know what to do. Are you with me? Billy Graham, before he died, they asked him, and many of you know the quote, but they asked him, they said, if there was something you would have done differently in your ministry, what would it have been? There was one thing. He said, I would have spent more time with God and less with man. Now, that says something to me. I would have spent more time with God and less with man. And so much of our day is spent with man and less with God. Trying to build a ministry. Trying to build this, trying to build that, trying to accomplish this. And we're going about it the wrong way. 
Your job is not to build your ministry. Your job is not to build your life. Your job is to fellowship with God through His Word, through prayer, through intercession, through meditation, through worship, and out of all of that comes life. That's true life. Amen? Amen. Now look at this in John chapter 3. We see this very familiar passage of Scripture. And it says in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, we, we quote that scripture when we get people saved, and rightfully so, it fits. But I want you to see what he says here. He says, the Son has come so that we could have, what, everlasting life. Yeah. Now, go to John 17. John chapter 17. And this everlasting life, how many of y'all know if you're living and breathing today, whether you're going to heaven or hell, you're going to live forever. So he's just not talking about someone going to live forever. We're all going to live forever. But that word there means ongoing perpetual life. It means the quality of life. And so in John 17, 3, it says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Notice he said this is eternal life. This is what really life is all about, is to know him is to put Him in the proper place in our life. You remember what He said in John, Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The focus is to know Him. The focus is to go after Him. Yeah. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the way, but the destination is the Father. Our destination is to know Him. Jesus said, I have come to repair this fellowship. I have come to prepare this relationship. I have come not only to give you eternal life, not only... Listen, sin was an obstacle of fellowship. Sin had to be removed out of the way. The obstacle of sin had to be removed in order for Jesus to restore fellowship. The whole mindset of Jesus was to get the Holy Ghost back in the earth, to get the Holy Ghost in us, to repair this fellowship so through the Holy Spirit we can know God. That, that's exactly why we are here. Amen. You know, Pastor Keith was talking about the kingdom of God. He was talking about the kingdom. Of, well, you're not going to flow in the kingdom without relationship. It all is connected. You're not going to stay with the landmarks without fellowship. Everything that we're talking about has to do with fellowship, has to do with you knowing God, you knowing God and, in, and inviting him into your life and talking to him about the decisions that you make. Do we ever ask God about what we're doing? Do we ever invite him into our place? Do we ever ask him, should I do this? Should I not do this? Do we invite him into these decisions that we make on a daily basis? Or we just do we make them and ask him to bless them? Is, there, is our decisions made through fellowship? See, that's something we all have to ask ourselves. I don't want to do anything like Moses. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to go anywhere. Exodus 33, remember that? I don't want to do any of that unless you're going with me. I don't want to make a decision without you. I don't want to do anything without you. I don't want to waste time. I don't want to waste money. I don't want to waste effort. I'm not doing anything without you. See, it all comes back to this one thing. A fellowship. The quality of our life on this earth is spent by the quality that we spend with Him. The quality of life that you and I walk in will be determined by the quality of the relationship we have in Him. 
That's a fact. The Weymouth translation out of that, that, that verse, it says this. It says out of verse 17, uh, 17 3, it says, And this consists the life of the ages. Listen to this, the Weymouth translation. And in this consists the life of the ages in knowing thee. He said, this is life right here. In knowing thee. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Our highest calling is not to do what we do for the Father. Our highest calling is to know him and to have fellowship with him. One day, all of us, as you know, all of us will stand before the Lord. And then that moment, it won't matter how big your ministry is. It won't matter how popular you are. All that's going to matter in that moment is, did you know me? Did you know me? Did you have a relationship with me? Are we building a ministry? Are we building a life? What are we building? Are we building our relationship with God? That's all that's really going to matter. And I've always said this, the size of my pulpit is determined by God, not me. Not by me rubbing elbows with other preachers trying to get meetings. Not me trying to be popular. Not, none of that. No, none of that matters. What matters is, is are you in a relationship with God? Do you spend time with God? Do you know God? Are you progressing? Are you further along right now than you were last year? Are you further, do you know Him more? Do you have more intimacy with God? Is there a real intimacy that you have with God? Do you long to fellowship with Him? Do you long to be in his presence? Is there a longing on the inside? I long to be with God. Every day a yearning to be more and more like him. Every day learning to be more and more in his presence. To give more of myself to him. I can't get more of him. He lives in me. But I can give more of me to him. I can get and let him be involved in my decisions. Hallelujah. Because there's no greater calling. The greatest calling on my life is not to be a pastor. It's not to be a husband or a daddy or a mentor or whatever. It's to fellowship with God. That's my greatest calling. And we should never forget that. Look at this in 1 Corinthians 1. Are you with me today? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll read this and some of these scriptures we'll just go through. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9. It says, God is faithful by whom you were called unto what? The fellowship. Of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Notice it says you've been called. In the Greek, this means a personal invitation by name. It would be like the president giving you an invitation. An invitation shows up at your house. And how many of y'all know you'd be scrambling to find what clothes you're going to wear? You'd probably go out and get a new tuxedo or a new dress or whatever because you're going to go meet the president. What about God? God said, I have given you a personal invitation. I, I, I want to fellowship with you. I want to tell you about your life. I want to help you so that you don't go down a road that's out. I want to help you that you don't make the wrong decisions. I want to be there for you. I want to be a father to you. I want to love you. I want to help you. Yeah. See, that's, that's the highest invitation. Yeah. It's to fellowship with God, to know him. Not know about him. Not know about him through Dr. Jacobs, Mom Jacobs, Pastor, Jake, or Pastor Jacob, or Jordan, and some of these people. You know him personally. That it's a personal relationship with God. And you can be as close to God as you want to be. You choose, not him. The Living Bible out of that same verse says, And he is the one who invited you into this wonderful friendship with the Son even Christ our Lord. 
So you and I have an open invitation with the Father. Now think about this. If you and I have an open invitation with the Father, He does not afford this invitation to any other creation. It's not afforded to the angels. He didn't invite any of the angels to sit at His right hand. A place of what? Covenant, but a place of what? Fellowship. No other creation did God ever create other than man that he gave him a personal invitation to fellowship with him. It is not reserved for any angels. It is not reserved for any other creation. Only man. And every day we can take advantage of this wonderful fellowship and really get to know God instead of sitting in front of the television being in fear, being in worry, and day after day after hour after hour goes by when we have the opportunity, but we don't take it. Yeah. And we wonder why we hurt. We wonder why we're sick. We wonder why we don't have answers. We wonder why we're broke. We wonder why things aren't working. Because it comes out of this place called fellowship. You are the only one that can assign the value of your relationship with God. You're the only, you assign the value. And you assign that value by action. You assign that value by what you do every day. That's what's assigning the value to that relationship. If I don't spend time with God, it's because I don't value that relationship. Now, I know you may not want to hear that, but that's just the way it is. And that's the truth. Are y'all here today? That's the truth. This quote I want to read, it says, Sheep go in flocks, and so do God's people. Most Christians do not have fellowship with God. They have fellowship with each other about God. Just the privilege of fellowship with God is an infinite, infinitely more than anything that God could give. I'm going to read, listen to this. Just the privilege of fellowship with God is infinitely more than anything God could give. When he gives himself, listen to this. When he gives himself, he is giving more than anything else in the universe. When he gave himself, he said, I can't give you anything greater than me. I can't give you anything greater. I can't give you a greater invitation. I can't give you anything greater than me. How can I give you anything greater than me? I mean, you think about it. The God that flung the stars, the God, the God that we are serving every day is saying, I am giving you. Pastor Angie, a personal invitation to come along with me. I know everything about you. I know where you're going. I know everything you want to know. And it all comes, and I'm giving you a personal relationship with me. And I cannot give you any more than that, than myself. How could Jesus give any more than himself? He stretched on a cross for you and me to restore fellowship. To restore fellowship. One hand to man, one hand to God, bringing them together through him. That I've restored this fellowship. I accomplished the work, Father, that you gave me. And this, uh, this invitation of fellowship, the Apostle John knew. And that's why he wrote, let's look at this in 1 John. That's why he wrote here. The Apostle John knew this. When he wrote this epistle, he was 95 years old. And he's seen the church, the church per period was about 65 years at this time, old. 
And later he would write in Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3 of most of the churches at this short age was already in a backslidden condition. And in fact, five out of the seven, God threatened to remove his presence from. And that was just 40 to 50 years after Paul and some of them established some of these churches. And what it shows us is it's so easy to digress. It's so easy to back up. In just a very short period of time, when the church is exploding, we have digression. Paul said it in Acts chapter 20. He said, I've been with you for three years, night and day, crying every day because I know as soon as I leave here, people are going to come in like grievous wolves and they're just going to eat you up and things are going to start taking place. Of course, the church of Ephesus had all kind of false doctrine. But he said, in other words, what he's saying is, is this thing's going to be very quick if you don't stay with God, if you don't fellowship with God. What's happening with the church today? Why are all these false doctrines coming up? Why are all these things happening? I know it's the signs of the time, but it's away from God. It's going away from fellowship. It's going away from what matters. It's going away from God. And when you don't have a relationship with God, you have religion. No power. There's no power. All you have is religion. And you think about this, Christianity was, was a very short period of time. I was only 60 years old. I mean, it's a very short period of time. But think about this. John, at 95 years old, he wrote the book of Revelation at 99. But at 95, after he had been watching the body of Christ, seeing the body of Christ, watching what was going on, John could have wrote about anything. He could have wrote about miracles. Don't you think they needed miracles? Of course they do. Anything wrong with miracles? No. He could have wrote about angels. Didn't write about angels. Are angels important? Of course they are. He could have wrote about prosperity. He could have wrote about any, any subject at 95 years old. What was weighing on the apostle John that was so prevalent in his life that he needed to write about something? What would be your last pages that you would pen? If you had a few sheets of paper left and all you could write on is a few sheets of paper, what would you pen? That's what we need to ask John. What would you pen? And you know what John penned about? Fellowship. That's what he penned. Not to say all those other things are important. All of them are important. But what he penned is, is so important. Now look at this. Watch what John says. 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, look at this, which we have looked upon with our hands, have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declared we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ." And these things write unto you that your joy may be full. What is John saying? John's saying, listen, we've seen him talk to God. We've seen God talk to him. We've seen this relationship. It was right manifested in front of us. We've seen how he followed God. We've seen how he talked to God. We've seen all these things. It was a manifestation before us. And he says, but not only is that fellowship that he had with God, it is also available to you and I. We have been invited into this same fellowship. 
fellowship. That's why Jesus in John chapter 17, the whole chapter is a prayer of him praying that we would be one. Not only unity, that's part of it, but one in his love, one in his fellowship, one with him. Just like he was with God, we are with God. We walk with God. We talk with God, just like he talked with God. So this whole thing John is talking about is what? Fellowship. He's saying we've seen it. It was manifested unto us. And we truly, we also have this invitation. We have this invitation that we can fellowship with God, just like Jesus fellowship with God. He was a visible manifestation of fellowship. He was the fellowship. This is how you do it. He gave us an example to follow. This is how you do it. This is what was important. What, what did Jesus do in Mark 135? He went out in the morning in a solitary place, and there he prayed. There he fellowshiped. He got alone with God. He spent time with God. That was a priority to him, to be full of God. And notice what it says here in verse 4. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Notice in verse 4 that our fellowship with our Father is connected to the joy level we walk in. Amen. Psalm 1611 says, In thy presence is fullness of joy. <laughs> so our joy meter is determined by our fellowship meter. How much joy we have is connected to our fellowshiping with God. And it's not just laughing joy. It's there's a joy of your heart. There's a spring in your step that you're in fellowship with God, that you're in love with God. And out of that is a manifestation so the world sees. What is the world looking for? The sons of God. The all creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of fellowship, the sons of God. To see this fellowship is what they will desire. When they look at our lives, and they see the fellowship that we have with one another, what we have with God. That's what draws people to God. Yeah. So we choose the joy level. We choose the fellowship level. Not God. Right. James 4, 8 says, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. You've got to do the drawing first. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. Even in Jesus' ministry, we see this with John. Even in Jesus' ministry, all the disciples didn't have the same level of fellowship. We see Jesus in his own ministry ministering to the masses. Yeah. Then we see Jesus ministering to the 70. Mm -hmm. Then we see Jesus ministering to the 12. Yeah. Then we see Jesus ministering to the three. Yeah. You think about in Jairus's, in Jairus's life, only Peter, James, and John went in. Yeah. Jesus said all the rest of them outside. Yeah. He said, you, because you are choosing to be closer you're going to see a miracle the others aren't going to see. I'm going to bring you into this place of fellowship. John would put his head on Jesus' chest. He chose to do that. He chose to be close. And this great miracle that took place, Jesus said, everybody ain't going to be in here with me to see this. There are things that are reserved for those who are in fellowship. There are things that are reserved. And he brought them in, Peter, James, and John, and they watched. On the Mount of Transfiguration, who was there? Peter, James, and John. Same three. Because they chose the level of fellowship, not Jesus. 
Now, Acts 10.38 says, Peter said that I perceive that Jesus is no respecter of persons. We know that. He's not a respecter of persons, so which simply means I can be as close to him as I want to be. I'm not close to him because I'm a pastor. I'm close to him because I want to be close to him. So we choose the level of the fellowship that we have with God, and everything comes out of this. I mean, if we're not fellowshipping with God and it's not done through fellowship, what are we doing? If it's not coming through this, what are we doing? Playing church, being religious. And so Jesus says, even the disciples had different levels of fellowship. All of us in this room are at different levels of fellowship. But all of us in this room choose. You choose to keep the TV on or turn it off. You choose to listen to the news or the Holy Ghost. We choose to come to church or stay home. We choose live stream or in live service. We choose whether we stay up and pray for our neighbors and our brothers and sisters or we go to sleep. We choose whether we uh, linger a little longer in the prayer closet and spend time fellowship with God or we just kind of blow it off. It's our choice. And in the end, it's all that's going to matter. You remember Luke chapter 12 with the guy, he said, I'm going to build this and I'm going to build that. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Sometimes that's the way we are. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And Jesus said, you're, he didn't call him a fool. He said, you're foolish. What you have done is you've exchanged your life for the wrong thing. Yeah. He, wasn't, he wasn't scolding him because he had money. He was scolding him because of covetousness, that he exchanged his life for the wrong thing. And in that same passage of Scripture, it says, and so is it, this, this person, he said, you're foolish. He said, someone else is going to enjoy everything you built. Yeah. You're not even going to be able to enjoy it because tonight your soul is required of you. He said, so it is to the same person that is rich in this world, but not rich in his relationship with God. That's what's really going to matter, guys, is do you know him? Not know about him. Do you know him? In verse uh, verse number three, that same verse there in the Amplified, it says this. It says, what we have seen, John says this, what we have seen and ourselves heard, Are we also telling you so that you may realize, listen to this, so that you may realize and enjoy fellowship as partakers and partakers with him. And this fellowship that we have, which is a distinguishing mark of Christians, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So the distinguishing mark of a Christian or a man or woman of God is not the size of their ministry. It's not how popular, you go by these churches that are mega churches, they go, oh boy, they're really up with God. He didn't say that. He said the distinguishing mark is not how big your building is, not how many people are sitting in those seats. He said the distinguishing mark of a child of the Most High God is their fellowship with God. Is their fellowship with God. Not how popular they are, not how famous they are. Some of, the, some of the people that's going to do the greatest work we've ever seen on this earth will be people you've never even heard of when we stand before God one day. Because they did those works through Him. And all they were uh, occupied with was fellowship. I mean, that's pretty easy. You got one job. 
I he didn't give you two. I mean, you just got one. I'm going to give you one job. You're going to get born again. You got one job. Stay in my presence. You got one job. Fellowship with me. That's it. You just got one job. And out of that one job comes everything else. Well, I just want to know what God want me to do. Well, you got to get alone with him. Well, I wonder if I need to do this. Or I wonder if I, who should I marry? If I'm going to marry, what, what, what should I do with my life? You got to get alone with God. You got to have fellowship with God. And out of that fellowship comes strength, not popularity. The Azusa Street Revival that took place in the early 19th century came through one African-American, William Seymour, that nobody knew. Never had more than 300 people in his church. Changed one-sixth of the world. One-sixth of the world was impacted by that revival. But yet he would spend three or four or five hours a day in God's presence. That revival came through fellowship. God started telling him to spend more time with me, spend more time with me, spend more time with me, spend more time with me. And God used it. He was so empowered by God. What empowered his life was fellowship. Powerful, powerful miracles that took place. See, people want the miracles, but they don't want to spend time with God. Because more interested in the popularity and how popular it's going to make us, how big our platform's going to be, then to really do some work for God and not really care about any of that. William Seymour, he was so hungry, he would sit outside the room because he was an African-American and they wouldn't let him in. He'd sit outside and listen to the Bible school. And have one eye. But he had fellowship. And God anointed him as a man of God to shake this earth. Somebody you wouldn't even think would, would do anything. The most likely person to not succeed. I'd probably been in that category when I was in high school. Sitting on crates. Sitting on, yeah, sitting on crates. Not having all the nice things that we have today. Not having all the nice music in the band and all the different things that were afforded. Somebody paid the price for that. And through fellowship, power came into that place. We think that power is going to come because we're fancy preachers. (laughs) We're in trouble. But it's through fellowship that you stand anointed by God. And miracles take place. Look at this in Acts 4. Are you with me? Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And I want you to see this. This is, this is interesting. In Acts chapter 4, of course, the church has started. And this is about the impotent man that got healed. But I want you to look at this with me real quick. Acts chapter 4, and it says in verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and the elders, elders of Israel, if, we thus, uh, if this day we uh, be examined of the good deed done to this impotent man, the one that was healed in Acts 3, By what means is this he made whole? Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, see Peter's bold now, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doeth this man stand before you all whole. Look at this verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Yeah. 
He said, these are ignorant. They haven't been trained like us. And yet this miracle took place. What made the difference? Listen to what Passion says. It says, the council members were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who had never had religious training. Then they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. The effect that was on their life just because they spent time with him. So they're spending time with God. They come out into the world and they demonstrate power. They demonstrate boldness. They demonstrate the acts of God through their fellowship with God. There was an empowerment that took place through fellowship. Power came into their life through fellowship. Boldness came into their life through fellowship. Wisdom came into their life through fellowship. Knowing where to go, where not to go. Where to preach, nowhere not to preach. Not taking every invitation. Going where God wants me to go. Because you only have so many days left. Our ministry and our life is a reflection of fellowship. What God does to us, through us, in us is all connected to fellowship. My job is not to build a ministry. We'll be celebrating 20 years in the ministry this coming year. My job has never been to build that church. My job is to fellowship with God. I've never asked God for money. We build millions of dollars of building. I'm not asking God for nothing. You know what I do? I fellowship with God, spend time with God. Provision is already there, and I just believe he did it. And if I believe he did it, I walk into that provision. It's, I'm not begging and pleading with God. I fellowship with God. I worship God. I spend time with God. Every day I get up, I have my coffee, I open my Bible, and I read aloud every day. And I read aloud every day. What am I doing? Fellowshiping with God. I worship God. I spend time with God. I love God. I'm working on me. And then when someone shows up and they need a, a, a healing or they need a miracle, like the lady in our church got healed of cancer, or they need something, uh, you're laying hands on them. It's through that fellowship. It's through that, that power flows through you. Yeah. Yeah. See, it, it's the power. Yeah. And God gets all the glory. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the size of your ministry, the size of your, it doesn't matter. What matters is what matters. I said what matters is what matters. And what matters is our fellowshipping with the Father. And you see here, they said, we took note that they had been with Jesus. See, when we're on our job and you're on your job and you're in life, they ought to take note that you've been with Jesus. What's going to be distinguishing, they're going to look at you and go, something's different about you. You look different. You walk different. You talk different. You, you don't laugh at the jokes. You, you don't do what people are doing. Well, what's different about you? How are you different than other people? And you start saying, it's not religion. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with God. And you can have the same kind of beautiful relationship with God just like I have with God. He loves you. Jesus gave his life for you. And he would have done it just for you. Only just you. All my, he would have gave you everything just for you. That's how valuable you are. 
Psalms 139 says, when you were made, you were made in secret. God loves you. Not just what you can do for him. He loves you. You, you, you. God loves you. God's all about you. He loves you. He's emphatically in love with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to give you the wisdom. He wants to do all the things that you need and all the things you desire. He wants to give those things to you. But it's reserved for those who will fellowship. That's what it's reserved for. Now let's go over here. I'm just about done. Hang on. Philippians chapter 3. And we see this same thread with, with Paul. Paul has this, this same thread with, with Paul. This, actually, if you go back and read and study the New Testament, you'll see so much fellowship, so much intimacy, so many things of power taking place, and it's through this place of fellowship. It's through this knowing him. You remember that Jesus said in the last days people were going to stand up and say, did we not cast out devils in your name? Didn't we not heal the sick in your name? And Jesus is going to say, depart, you workers of nerdy. I did not know you. There was no relationship. You were just concerned about how popular you're going to be and how many miracles you're going to have and how important you are. You weren't interested in knowing me. Praise God. Paul. Of course, we know Paul, you know, he was, uh, in his day, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I mean, he knew the law backward and forward as good or better than anybody of his day. Mm -hmm. Paul was very knowledgeable in the law. But I want you to see this, and of course, I don't have time to go back to the beginning of this, but if you read all the way through it, he'll tell you that all the things that I've, and there's a message in there, but all the things that I've accomplished, all the things that I thought were a priority when I met Jesus, and I really understood Jesus through fellowship and relationship. I realized everything I learned about him was not like knowing him. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of people that know about God, but they don't know God. There are professors that know about God that teach it, but they're not born again. And Paul said, I knew all these things. I was the best of my day. He said, but it doesn't mean nothing. It don't mean anything. My speaking engagements don't mean nothing. How popular I am. Everybody calling my name. None of that means anything to me anymore. It's dying to fellowship. It's just you just die to self. And you just ask God to help you. Help me to know you better. Because when this thing's all over with, Father, that's all that's going to matter. And that's all the world's looking for right now are people that know their God. Like Candace said, those who know their God will do exploits. Those who know, not about him, know him. These guys were doing exploits. Why? Because they knew him. Their focus was to know him. And through that, I minister to people. My focus is to know God. And through that, I'm a husband. My focus is to know God. Through that, I'm a shepherd. Through that, I'm a dad. It's all this way. It's got to be vertical for it's ever horizontal. I got to know him. And to know him, you have to put some things aside. You got to get rid of the distractions. How hungry are you? How hungry are you for God? 
How hungry is your want to? Do you really want to pursue after him? I'm not talking about feelings. I'm talking about going after him. So Paul, and before I read this scripture, Paul says it, was, it didn't mean anything. I mean, you think about that. Here's somebody that's at the, at the highest point, you know, in his life, well, the highest level in this law, in the Sanhedrin, and all. You think about Paul, and Paul said, all that, that I spent so much time, all the doctorates I got, all those, they don't mean anything. Wow. What means something, Paul? Look what verse 10 says. He said that I may know him. Just one thing. You just got one thing to do. Fellowship with God. And notice what he said. That I may know him and the power, look at this, of his resurrection. That anointing, that power. But what took place in that resurrection? How that fellowship was restored. What took place in this thing? Not only do I want to know his power, but in this resurrection life, in this resurrection that I've been resurrected, and now I am back in fellowship with God. Amen. And this, look at this, and this fellowship, see, he points out fellowship, of his sufferings being made a form, a conformable to his death. That Amplified says this, it says, and my determined purpose. See, that's what all of us need to say today. And he said, for my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively, see, it's an ongoing thing, become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. Paul never mentions anything about himself, his, his success, what God's called him to do. He said, I am totally consumed with fellowship. I am, how do you write two-thirds of the New Testament if you don't spend time praying in tongues, spend time with God? All his writings came out of fellowship. John's writings came out of fellowship. John wrote the book of Revelations out of fellowship. Paul's greatest desire was to know him and through fellowship, and it should be ours as well. Now, I don't have time to go there, but if you go back and read John chapter 15, 1 through 8, we all know the scripture. We're the vine, he's the vine, we're the branch. But all those seven, eight scriptures there, all deal with fellowship. So if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask. That's a whole nother message. Ask what you will. And the Greek means demand. Not demand anything out of God, but through this fellowship, you get to a place where your words have power. Your words have power. That whole thing is about intimacy. Amen. Amen. So, so Paul is telling us that our greatest call Jesus told us that. It's to fellowship with God. It's to have fellowship. Paul said, it's my greatest desire is to have fellowship that I may know him. Would to God that would be our heart. Would to God that would be our desire. Father, you know, that's my desire is to know you. How do I know you? Spend time with God in his word. Spend time in worship. Spend time being quiet. Spend time in prayer. Amen. Amen. And you'll begin to know him at a different level. You know, in Revelations 2, John said to the church of Ephesus, he said, there's one thing about you. You hate sin. You hate this. You hate that. He goes, but there's one thing. He said, you've left your first love. 
You've left your first love. So that means we can be religious without relationship. We can have religion without relationship. He said, oh, you don't like what men do. You, you detest it. He said, but at the same time, you've left your first love. You no longer fellowship with me the way you used to fellowship with me. Other things have become more important. And I think when we get to that place, and I'm closing, but I think when we get to that place in our life where we feel like we've drifted, where we've digressed, where we've moved back, where we've backslidden, we need to repent. And we need to ask God to forgive us that we've put so many other things before him.